You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church in Lumberton, North Carolina. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. Take a look at James chapter 3, verse 13. James, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Father, we pause in this moment just to say thank you for your goodness and your grace, your provision this past week. Father, we recognize that the majority of this world, even many in our own community, woke up this morning and, and had nothing to eat, woke up in a house that didn't have any fresh water, are worried about their next meal, And yet, Father, for many of us, we had all that we needed, and then some. So, Father, we are deeply grateful for the provision in our lives. And Father, forgive us when we are continually asking but never offering thanks for what you've already done. Fathers, we just sung, we, we want to keep your son the center of our lives. Lord, we, we can't do anything without you. There was no way we could have come out of death and the life without you. There, there's no way that, that any of this this morning would mean anything if it weren't for an empty tomb and a bloody cross. Lord, we realize that we are weak. And we realize, Father, that that good work you began in us, you will complete. So we have great hope even in a world that, that seems hopeless at times. But Lord, we, we want you to be not only the center of our life, and, and that means beyond the walls of this building, but Lord, we want you to be the center of this church. Lord, what you're doing in this fellowship can only be explained by your power and your work. Lord, what is happening in this fellowship is not a work of man. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And we are deeply grateful for that. So, Father, guide us in your word this morning. May you be glorified and honored. May no one be seen or heard other than you. Father, you've given me the task to teach, but, Father, my desire is, is that I not be seen at all. That only your words, your glory, your power be seen and heard and experienced in this place today. We ask it in the strong and powerful name of Christ, our Redeemer, our soon-coming King. And Father, we echo the words of John when he says, even so, come quickly. Lord Jesus, we are ready. Speak to us this morning. We're listening. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You've heard of the terms um, as far as the concentration camps, Birkenau. During that awful time of our history when Nazi Germany was putting millions to death, Auschwitz, the names of those concentration camps are kind of embedded in us, but there's one concentration camp that you probably have not heard of, and I need to share with you a little bit of that story this morning to kind of frame what James is, is going to teach us today. There was a camp by the name of Thyresenstadt, and the reason you haven't heard of it very much is because it's a little bit obscure. It was not one of the concentration camps where a lot of people were put to death, but nonetheless, what happened here was very important. And what happened here was one of the most, well, 
One of the biggest lies, and Germany told many of them in their propaganda, but this one was a big lie. As the word got around the world of what was happening in Nazi Germany, there, there began to be this international pressure upon Germany to have some people come in and, and see for themselves what was actually happening. And so what Germany did is they said, okay, we're going to allow a, an international group to come in, and they're going to come in, in under the banner of the Red Cross. It was an international group, but they were coming in as Red Cross workers. And, and Nazi Germany was going to allow them to see a, a concentration camp so that they could see that the propaganda that Germany was putting out was actually true, that the Jews were not being mistreated at all. The German propaganda machine was very effective. They were telling their own people that the Jews were not being mistreated. They were simply being transported to other areas around Germany to, to work and that the Jews were going to be taken care of. And in fact, the camps that they were going to be in were going to be almost like, well, vacations. So this international group of people from represented by the Red Cross finally gets access to Germany. So what Germany does in response to this team that's getting ready to come and have a look on the inside, they take this particular concentration camp called Theresienstadt, and guess what they do? They give it a, a nice little facelift. Uh, before, now this visit is going to happen on June 22nd, 1944. So months leading up to that visit, uh, the Nazis began to dress up this particular concentration camp to make it look like everything they've been saying it was in their propaganda. So what did they do? Well, the first thing they did is they took a third of the people that were there because it was very crowded. People were packed in just like you know any of the other concentration camps. They were packed in there like animals. So what did they do? They reduced the numbers by over a third, and the people that they took out of this concentration camp, that third that they took out, they took them straight to Auschwitz and put them to death. And so then they began to plant gardens out in front of some of the buildings. They put a fresh coat of paint on the buildings. They, they went into some of the living quarters and washed out all the filth, got rid of all the rats and the lice. They, they told the people that were there in captivity that they had to play along, and if they didn't play along, they'd be taken out back and shot in the head. There's this one video on YouTube. You can see it. There's a lot of archive videos that you can go watch, and it actually comes from the Holocaust Museum. And there's a video there of, of them in a room much like this, and there's a symphony playing. And all the people sitting in the room and even all the people who are playing in the symphony are all Jewish people who are there taking, who have been taken captive. They all know what's going on. Something else you need to know about this particular camp. It was made up of German, Austrian, and Czechoslovakian Jews. It was located in what we know today to be the Czech Republic. But what's interesting about this particular camp is, is the people who were there. They were mostly elderly people, not all of them, but mostly. Most of them had some kind of physical ailment, but also they, they all had some kind of concentration in the arts. They, they were painters and sculptors and musicians they were philosophers, people from the, from the college realm who were Jewish were taken captive and placed there. There were, there were paintings inside of this camp that they had done that were exquisite. The interesting thing about this camp is that everyone in there had some kind of background in the arts or philosophy or education. Most of them were very highly educated. And so what the Germans were telling their own people and telling the world that, that this particular camp is like a vacation spot. And in that room on that day, there was a symphony playing, and the room was filled with people who were Jewish, who were taken captive, and the camera focuses on their faces, and you can see them, and they're sitting there, and they've got a painted-on smile, because they knew if they didn't, they'd be taken out back. What I find really interesting about this is when, the, when this delegation comes, when this group of people from all different countries come in to see what's actually happening in Nazi Germany, and they're taken into this camp, what do they see? They see flowers, and they see people doing crafts, and they see that the numbers actually aren't overwhelming, that they have very good living quarters. But what I find really interesting is, is that when this group goes in, 
as they're walking around, some of the Jewish people inside of that camp pull some of those members off and begin to whisper things in their ear. And here's what they told them. said, look, it's all a facade. Ask to go see that building right over there. Ask to walk down that street right over there. Because you see, they didn't paint everything. They didn't fix everything. Only a few buildings in the front. So these Jewish captives are saying to this group of people who are there to see what's really going on, they whisper in their ears going, ask to see the building over there. If you'll go over that building, you'll see the rats. You'll see the feces. You'll see how people are actually living. A strange thing happened, though. This committee that had been put together to find out the truth actually didn't want to know the truth. Countless Jewish captives were telling this team of people, go down that street. Guess how many of them asked to see those other buildings? Guess how many walked down there? Guess how many went to those other buildings to see the truth? Not one single person. It was as if they had decided to believe the lie even though they knew it was a lie. It was as though they didn't really want to see the truth. It was as though this group of people were poisoned in their thinking before they ever stepped foot in Germany. Now, after the delegation leaves, guess what? They give a glowing report. Get this, a glowing report of what's happening in the concentration camps. While they're giving that report, while they're telling the world that things aren't actually as bad as you think they are, those people who were playing those instruments and sitting in that audience were all put on buses and train cars and taken to Auschwitz and were terminated within two days. Now, the reason I'm sharing this story with you is because we have got to understand that the things that we listen to, the things that we take in, the things that we accept as truth may in fact be a lie and may in fact cause great, great harm to you, your family, and the people that you love. James says, he's going to give us a really good picture of this. There are two streams, two sources of water. Both seem to provide life. Both seem to be good. Solomon would say years earlier, there is a path that seems right. There's a, there's a path that seems right to us, but in the end leads to destruction. James says there's two streams here, and at the, far, at the early part of those streams, at the fountainhead of both of those streams, are two sources, and they're very different. Two weeks ago, we, we talked about where James said the tongue is a very powerful thing. He said that the tongue is like a spark that can set an entire forest ablaze. And then he gave us two other illustrations. He said that, think of, a, of bits in a horse's mouth, that you can put a, a little rod in a horse's mouth and attach the leather straps to it. And if you've done your training well, you can get on the back of this 800-pound animal and pull on one of those reins and turn that 800-pound animal wherever you want it to go. He says, think of a, of a rudder on a ship. You know, you can turn that rudder, and that ship may be two or 300 yards long. You can turn that rudder just a couple of degrees and it will change the direction of that ship. He says that small things can make a big, big impact and great damage. But the odd thing about that, that paragraph before that we looked at two weeks ago, the odd thing, and I called it out then, is at the very beginning of that paragraph, he says, now, teachers, those who teach, need to be very careful. And he says the teachers are going to be held to a higher standard. And you have to think, well, now, wait a minute. Was James just talking about something abstract here? Or was he, how does that fit in with the tongue? Well, it fits in perfectly because small things can have big impact. One teacher in a room full of 100, 200, 300 people can have a tremendous impact. And the fact is, you have a whole lot of teachers in your life. Some of them good. Some of them not so good. The internet was supposed to provide instant access to truth, to facts, and it still provides some of that. But yet, in this vast world of knowledge that we have access to, there's a whole lot of teachers on there. Some of those teachers have, well, Perceptions about reality and truth. 
that can actually bring great harm into your life. We said a couple of weeks ago that, that Jesus and James agree that what comes out the mouth is a reflection of what's in the heart. James, James says that, that the heart is the core issue. Jesus said that it's not what a man eats that defiles him, it's what's in his heart. So we have to ask the question this morning, and that's the context of what James is saying. Well, if our mouth speaks the contents of our heart, then how did that stuff get there to start with? Well, the reality is you've got some teachers in your life. You, you have some streams of information coming into your life, and they are teaching you things, and they're having an influence in your life. We have a whole new world of professions now, or a profession called influencers. I mean, that's their title, right? They make millions of dollars. What's their goal? To influence you, your family, your kids. So here's the question. Who should we listen to? Where does wisdom come from? How can we distinguish between good and bad teachers? That's what James is going to talk about. Look at verse 13. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? That's a good question, isn't it? Again, we, we talk about James and his practicality. James asks a very practical question. Who's wise? Who do you consider to be wise? Now, when I was growing up, I had a kid across the street. He was older than me. I thought he was wise. But as you'll soon find out, he was not. And I looked up to this kid. I thought this kid had it all. I mean, he was like the athlete. He was a few years older than me. And, and we hung out all the time. But he, as I look back, I think about all the things he talked me into that didn't turn out well. I'll give you one. There was this huge hornet's nest in one of my mom's bushes in the front yard. And this neighbor across the street said, hey, man, throw some rocks at it. I dare you, throw some rocks at it. Well, I'm thinking him being so wise and being older than me, what harm could come up? So I pick up a piece of a brick, and I throw My aim's not very good, but that first throw hit dead on, and it just demolished this hornet nest. I got, I'm going to use a Robco term, I got tore up on that day. I, got, I was stung so many times, I couldn't even get, it was a miserable week after that. I would like to tell you that 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 was the end of his influence in my life, but it was not. Oh, am I going to share? Yeah, I'm going to share this. All right, so if you're <laughs> kids, okay, we don't have a lot of kids. We have some teens. All right, y'all should know better. Don't do this. Don't try this at home. My neighbor would um, take a can of ether, starting fluid. We used to use that to start diesel engines, and it was highly flammable. He'd take a cigarette lighter, and he would spray the ether over the, and it'd make a beautiful, beautiful flamethrower. Saw him do it many times. I'd never done it. Well, I'm, at, I'm in my dad's garage all by myself, and there's a can of ether, and there's a match, and I'm thinking, I got this. So I tried it. Set my dad's garage on fire. Didn't work out too well. Uh, yeah, it was pretty bad. He had his uh, 1952 Chevrolet in there that I almost destroyed. And if I hadn't uh, made some really quick decisions really quick, that whole place would have went up in flames. I was about 12 years old. You see, you've got teachers in your life. Maybe not telling you to throw a rock at a bee, beehive or not telling you to set things on fire. Make no mistake about it. You've got some teachers in your life who can do just about as much damage or even more. James says, maybe we should ask a question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Of all the things flowing into our life through our cell phones and through our smart TVs and through the things that we read and things we, we might want to ask the question, who is wise among all of them? Who is a teacher that I should listen to? Who has understanding? James says this, by his good or his or her good conduct, let him or her show his works in the meekness of wisdom. James says, look, take a look at their life. It's not hard, folks. Take a look at the content. James says that goodness, good conduct, flows from a place of wisdom. Is it really that simple? Yeah, it really is. It's not any more complicated than this. What kind of life is that person leading? What kind of things are they teaching? What kind of things are we accepting at face value and don't even question? Is there good conduct involved? Jesus said that the greatest commandment, all of the commandments, all of the prophet, all of the law hangs on this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, right? Well, let's just ask a question. Is what the person I am allowing to teach me, is what they're teaching helping me to love God and love others? 
As a matter of fact, does the teacher love God and love others? Or is the teacher dividing us? Is the teacher teaching hatred? Is the teacher teaching racism? Is the teacher teaching that I'm better and y'all are less than? Is the teacher saying, trust all that I'm saying and don't doubt it? Is the teacher saying that I'm right and everyone else is wrong? You see, you have many teachers. James says we might want to ask the question, who is actually wise? How can we tell? Good conduct and let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. A couple weeks ago, we talked about that seemingly contradiction between James and Paul, right? James says that without works, faith is dead, right? And we talked about how that he's not saying that we gain salvation by works. But James here is saying again that a person who is wise, just like a person who has faith in Jesus, should have tangible works in their lives. That's obvious that you can see. They're obvious. James is saying that If we're going to ask the question, who is wise, we need to have a way to measure that. The first thing he says is by good conduct. Let him show his good works in the meekness of wisdom. Good conduct. A person who is just genuinely good. Not that they're good as far as perfect, but just good as far as the way they treat other people. If they're not, it's an indication of something. And then James gives us a tremendous, tremendous imagery here. Look at verse 14. See that word but? Anytime, I've told you this before, anytime you see that word but in the New Testament, look at it very closely. Don't just skim through it. That word but, he he says, okay, good conduct flowing from good wisdom shows up in meekness, humility. But, notice this, the contrast, but if work, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. In other words, James says, wait a minute, there's, there's, a, there's another source of wisdom here. There's, a, there's another way to see the world. There's another worldview. And that worldview also reveals itself in the wisdom that it's trying to utilize, and it reveals itself this way, selfish ambition, jealousy. And the way that verse is phrased in the, in the Greek behind it is a little hard to read in your English translation, depending on the translation you're reading. But verse 14 is a little bit confusing, but what he's saying is, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, then you're going to try to cover it up by boasting and lying. Here's the thing. People who are ambitious, selfishly so, people who are self-centered, people who love themselves in spite of everyone else and more than everyone else, they will always, always boast. They will always, always lie to cover it up. Is that false humility? The idea that that a person who is arrogant and is absolutely narcissistic to the core also lies about the fact that they're, that they're not really narcissistic. <laughs> they, they try to convince everyone that they're not narcissistic, but they're actually humble. James says that's an indication of a lack of wisdom or, quite frankly, a wisdom that comes from a different source. He says jealousy, selfish ambition, boasting, lying. And here's re- verse 15 is where he shows us the two streams, verse 15. He says, this is not, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. So now James is going to say, look, there are two streams, and everybody's drinking out of one or the other. And both of these streams have a fountainhead. And it would be wise for us to recognize where these ideas flow from. It would be, be wise for us to know that those who are trying to teach us and influence us, it'd be, it'd be really good for us to know what's behind all that, what's driving that. So James says that jealousy, selfish ambition, lying, boasting, that doesn't come, that's not the wisdom that comes from above. In other words, what he's getting ready to tell us is this, this, this doesn't flow from God. This, this doesn't represent the character of God. This, this doesn't represent his kingdom or his truth. This is actually the opposite. Now, it's, it's still a wisdom, which ultimately leads to foolishness, but you're drinking from one of these two sources. So let's talk about the first one. He says, this wisdom, this is not wisdom that comes down from above. And he says, first of all, this wisdom that does not come from above is earthly. So now we begin to find out the origin. 
that this wisdom is earthbound. That this wisdom has as its focus flesh and engaging the flesh. This wisdom has as its focus and puts at the center of the universe you. In the majority of our learning institutions, higher learning institutions, this is the central core philosophical teaching that the world is bought into. That ultimately, the world revolves around you. Ultimately, you are the greatest of all. You were born inherently good, but bad education and a lack of money or a bad family or a bad society corrupted you. And you struggle with that. So what you need to do is you just need to become a better you. So there's one stream here, and James says that it is worldly. It is focused on the world. It is focused on the world system. It aligns with the world's idea of what truth is. It seeks truth and knowledge from the world system, and it lives by the world's standards. So we got this one stream here. It does not flow from above, but we're going to find out where it flows from. In that stream, what we find out is, is it's all about you. It's not about anybody else. And it seeks to make you a better you simply by any myriad of things and ideas. So James says that this stream, it's earthly. Notice the second one, it's unspiritual. So here's the, here's the thinking here. That it is devoid of spirituality, devoid of spiritual life. Now this is really interesting because the more conversations that I have with 20-somethings, and I have a lot, that's not to pick on 20-somethings, if that's you, no big deal. But let me, let me talk a little bit about this particular generation. It's in my generation as well, but I see it especially in the 20-somethings that I'm having convos with, right now, conversations with. They are deeply, deeply interested in spiritual things. I mean, they, they, they want to have conversations about spiritual things. But here's the issue. They've gone down this buffet line of spirituality, and I'm going to get a little bit of crystals. I'll take a little bit of Islam. Hey, I love the stuff about Jesus. You know, Jesus seems to be a pretty cool guy. I'm going to put a little Jesus on here, and then I'm going to, I'm going to smear a little Hinduism and a little mysticism on all of that, and I've got me this big old custom-made religion that really means nothing. So they're all about talking about spirituality, and I love to have those conversations. But it's not grounded in any kind of truth. It's, it's all over the place, yet nowhere all at the same time. James says, well, guess what? <laughs> this stream over here, it's unspiritual, but, but don't worry. If you're looking for spiritual things, you'll find some satisfaction over here in this stream. But if you're looking for truth, if you're looking for reality, if you're looking for something that corresponds to reality, this is not the stream for you because we're going to find out next where the fountainhead is. Look what he says. He says it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. Now we might need to pause here for just a moment and let me be very forthright with you about where we stand as a church and where I am as a pastor. So pastor, do you, are you saying then at this moment that you believe in demons? Yes, I do. Well, pastor, do you believe that they are real or just some kind of object or illustration of evil? No, I believe they are absolutely, positively real. Why do I believe that? Because Jesus did. Because Paul wrote about it. Jesus spoke about it. Jesus didn't cast out the idea of evil. He cast out demons. Are we, are we all on the same page here? Give me a head nod or something. I'm dying up here. All right. <laughs> So when James raises the idea of demons, we're talking about literal entities, literal beings who are under the command of Satan. Yes, he's real. No, he's not red with a pitchfork, shoveling coal into a furnace in hell. He's roaming the earth, seeking whom he may devour. And so are his army, the demons James is speaking about here. So let's all kind of get perspective here. This stream that we're talking about is earthly, is unspiritual, but it has as a fountainhead, the source is demonic itself. So what is the goal 
I uh, said we have many teachers, and make no mistake about it, this stream that is flowing with all kinds of information has their teachers who are teaching all kinds of things. What's the goal here? Well, look at the New Testament, we get a pretty clear understanding. If we go all the way back to the Old Testament, Genesis 3, we see what the goal here is. The goal is to seek, to kill, destroy, to lie, to mislead. And the thing is, Satan and his army is, is so good at this. Like I said, they don't pop out of a corner with horns on their head. It almost looks inviting. It almost looks good. It almost looks like the right answer. This stream of water looks very inviting. It looks refreshing. Everything about it looks okay. But at the head of this thing is a demon, Satan, destruction, lies, on top of lies, on top of lies. Look, look what James says. He says, earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Verse 16, he gives us the characteristics of what this, people who are drinking out of this stream, what do they look like? Well, jealous, selfish, ambitious, willing to walk over anyone they need to walk over to accomplish their ends. Because remember, you are the center of the universe. So therefore, if you're the center of the universe, then by all means, ambition, selfish ambition cannot possibly be a problem. He says jealousy, selfish ambition. What else does he say? He says, these will be present, but notice this, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So we have a stream, the fountainhead is demonic, and, and, and James says that the outworking of all of this, the outworking of believing the lie, the outworking of drinking out of this stream is destruction and division, a dumpster fire. Can we all agree that what we're looking at in our country right now is that? Vile, destructive, divisive, hatred, people taking it out on each other. We don't see love for neighbor. We're not seeing love for God. We're seeing, I'm going to take you out, and if you disagree with me, I'm going to cuss you out. I'm going to shout you down. Not that we can have a civil engagement. Not that we can't sit down and talk about it and say, okay, we may have to agree to disagree, but we're going to do it with peace. Where do you think that's flowing from? The stream over here that doesn't come from above? I think we can all agree that's where a whole lot of people are drinking from. And it's inside the church as well. Look at verse 17. We have another but there. So James is going to now transition. If we have two streams, we now know the one. Demonic, unspiritual, earthly. Leads to destruction, filled with lies, seeks to persuade you. Well, let's talk about the other stream. He says, but the wisdom from above is first pure. Uh, what I love about the book of James is he just puts it very clear, very plain. He says, wisdom in the life of a person, and that wisdom that flows from above, another stream, the fountainhead of this stream is God himself, his character, his truth, the son of, the son of God, the Godhead Trinity, how we see Jesus living his life, what we see in God's word. That fountainhead being God himself, his character, Someone who is drinking from that stream is pure. Pure meaning clean. Meaning separated from a broken world. Meaning there's something different about them. They seem to have a moral north. They seem to have a set of principles <laughs> And they're striving to live on this side of those principles. They seem to want to stay away from certain things in society because they want to honor their God, who they believe is holy. He says the first of all, wisdom from above is going to be lived out of a life of purity. Second, notice what he says. He says, then peaceable. Maybe I'm the only one in here, and, and if I am, hey, no problem, transparency here, but probably not. Do y'all have someone in your family or someone on your job site 
that revels, enjoys stirring things up constantly? Okay, I'm the only one. I figured that was the case. <laughs> I've, got, I've got family members who are not happy unless something is being stirred up. When I used to work at the factory, had a couple of guys there. And honestly, if they would just stop talking, our day-to-day -day life on that job site would have been 100% better. But they could not come onto that job site and punch in without spreading gossip about somebody else. And they weren't happy unless they were stirring the pot. They were not peaceable. Here's the other crazy thing I found out. Down through my life as I look back, those people who were stirring stuff up, even people inside my own family who were stirring stuff up, guess this, they were great church-going people. If you look for them on Sunday morning, you know where you'd find them? Oh, they're sitting in a church somewhere. But everywhere else, they're anything but peaceable. As a matter of fact, they revel in the idea of telling the latest gossip about you. James says, wisdom that flows from above is going to be lived out in a person who is peaceable. That doesn't mean that we're a doormat. That doesn't mean that we go along to get along. It just simply means that in every situation, whether we agree or disagree, my goal is to honor God. My God is a God of peace. It's his very character. And if I'm supposed to love my neighbor, I can't gossip about you. Even if we disagree. Even if your lifestyle is totally different than mine. I'm called to love you. Not to tear you down. Look inside the marriage. Are you a peacemaker? He says gentle. Pure, peaceable, gentle. What does gentle mean? Equitable, fair, mild, not ill-tempered. Now men, when we hear the word gentle, we think of like, you know, I don't know, like a stuffed animal or something. That's not what James is talking about. He's talking about men who are fair, women who are fair who hear both sides before making a decision, who understands the difference between an ungodly stream and a stream that flows from God that represents his character. Gentle mean not flying off the handle at every little thing. Not everything in your life demands that you blow up over it. It's killing you from the inside out. James says that this stream that flows from God is going to show up in gentleness. Notice what else he says, reasonable, open to reason. Reasonable meaning that they're open to correction. Have you ever, I know some of you are bosses and you've, you've got people who work for you. How does it work out when you call that person in your office and say, okay, you just messed this up? You and there's got to be some correction here. There's something going to go in your permanent file, blah, blah, blah. You've got to have that conversation. How does it often go? Man, people lose their minds. Are you open to correction? Move a little closer to your home when your wife or your husband has to bring some correction. How do you respond to that? James says that how we respond to that, we're open to reason, says about what stream we're drinking from. Not only that, he goes on to say, Peaceful, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, you, you're quick to forgive. You're quick to forgive others. Someone wrongs you. Wisdom from above says, I've been forgiven by God about for many things. And God says that I'm supposed to dispense grace and love my neighbor, so I have to forgive them as well. To be right with God requires that I'm right with you. So the person who's drinking from this stream that flows from the character of God offers forgiveness. They have good fruits in their life. They're impartial. In other words, they're not choosing to take a side just because they all agree with them. They're impartial. And then finally, it says sincere. They're not hypocrites. They're not hypocrites. They're not filled with hypocrisy. Their yes is yes and their no is no. The way they live out in front and the way is the same way they live at home. And then notice this verse, this last verse, verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James sums it all up and says, the stream you're drinking out of, if it's the stream that flows from the character of God that comes from above, then you're going to seek to be a peacemaker. And as you sow peace, you're going to look different than the rest of the world. It's almost as though James is talking about great commission here. He's saying that, that as we 
sow in peace, we're going to reap a harvest of righteousness. What does that mean? As we live out our lives as peacemakers, people who are gentle, open to reason, not hypocrites, good fruits, being willing to forgive, we sow seeds. So your character does matter. The stream you're drinking out of does matter. The things you're consuming does matter. And it has an impact on you. James says that these things that are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic, they seek to destroy your life, destroy your family, destroy your testimony, destroy your marriage, destroy your kids, your grandkids, and on and on it goes. That stream looks inviting, but it is deadly. It's like drinking poison. And here's the thing. We fool ourselves into thinking that drinking out of that stream is no big deal. Everybody's doing it. I mean, when you, when you, when you look at what the world's offering, the appeal to the flesh, the, the appeal to engage, the, the, the appeal to, to consume more, there's a lot of people sitting at the fountain drinking and they seem to be okay. So what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is, is it's poison. few questions before we close here to consider. If there's two streams, then the first question we got to wrestle with here is what is your source of wisdom? Uh, I'm going to take a little side step here for just a moment. I need to address this because it's huge. I, it keeps coming up and I think it fits in perfectly with what James is saying here. Over the last, I don't know, couple of years, I think through the COVID has probably made it worse, but there is something our society and our community and our world is telling us is no big deal. It's no big deal. Matter of fact, we want to we legalize it and make it more available. And if we legalize it and everybody have access to it and take away all the crime aspect to it, it that it's, it's no different than just smoking a regular cigarette. It makes you forget your, your troubles. And also there's a, there's a medical aspect to this thing. And if you, you know, it can, it can help a lot of illnesses. I'm talking to a whole lot of 20-somethings right now that are absolutely, absolutely, completely addicted to marijuana. Can we have a conversation about that for just a moment? You see, I think it's played out really well in the two streams here. One stream says, no big deal. One stream says, ah, no problem. Just another thing. Well, one stream says, hey, engage. It's not going to hurt you. Yeah, there's another stream over here that says, you know, anything that takes control of your life, anything that controls you, whether that be heroin, cocaine, alcohol, or marijuana, if that's what you're running to, to, to get away from your problems, to, to escape the world, and that's what this stream over here is telling you, guess what those things are to you? Those things are gods. The Bible has a lot to say about that. They're idols. Not only are there idols, but they will destroy your life. Just had a conversation with a 27-year-old two weeks ago who was so strung out on marijuana, he doesn't even know what day it is. He started out drinking out of that stream when he was very young because everybody told him it was no big deal. I'm here to tell you it's a big deal. And I'm here to tell you that, that whatever you're drinking out of has results in your life, and it will bring destruction out of your life because sitting at the head of that stream is none other than Satan, and he is laughing all day long at all the people who are deceived. But that's what he does. That's his forte. He's good at presenting things as being good all the while destroying your life. So what is the source of your wisdom? What are you listening to? Who do you trust? What is the source of your truth? Take a look at their life. Take a look at what they're selling. Take a look at what's motivating them. Is this a wise person? Is this a wise source? Should we be drinking from that fountain? Could it be that you're consuming poison? Could it be that the reason your marriage is falling apart is because you're drinking from a stream that is poison? Could it be that the reason you're alienated from your kids is because the kids and the family are drinking from a, a stream that is poison? Could it be that the reason your job's not working out, your marriage is not working out, your relationship is not working out, the degree that you got didn't bring the satisfaction. Could it be that you've been believing lies all this time and sitting at the head of those lies is none other than a demon himself? Second question. 
Does it cost too much to change sources? Now, why would I ask that question? Because the Bible talks a lot about, Paul writes a lot about this idea of a calloused heart, a heart that grows cold and indifferent, a heart that just doesn't care anymore. James, I mean, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. Right there, Paul talks about the denial of truth and the downward spiral as a result. In other words, those who are drinking out of a fountain that is poisoned, where it leads, here's where it leads. It leads to a place where you're cold and hard, you're cold-hearted, indifferent, and you don't care anymore. Your heart becomes calloused. So you get to the place where you're far too invested in this stream over here to ever think about going to something else. You think that even though this thing over here has destroyed your life, even though it has brought pain in your life, even though you know that you've been lied to, people continue to sit at the feet of liars. I see this a lot with addictions. As you know, our church, and I'm thankful for you, we have a tremendous ministry on Monday night called Celebrate Recovery. We, we, as a church body, we want to run towards people who are caught in addictions, who have hurts, habits, and hang-ups, as the ministry tagline says. That's what we're about here. But it never ceases to amaze me when I could sit and talk to a young lady who maybe came to our food pantry, and she's got needle tracks up both arms, lost all of her teeth, she looks like she's 60, but she's 25. And I sit down right out here with her. I never do this alone. And I simply ask the question, are you using? She hangs her head in shame, tears running down her eyes. And she said, yeah, I've been hooked for about five years. And I look her in the eye and I go, you know this is going to take your life, right? Do you want help? And then all the excuses begin to come. Even though it's destroying her life, even though she's lost everything, even though she has no money in her pocket to buy any food, this stream has taken everything. The lies have taken everything. And it's about to take her life, and she's sitting right out here telling me, oh, it's not that bad. It's going to cost me too much to walk away. Is that where you are? And I've been doing it so long, I can't imagine there's anything different. I've been believing the lies so long, how could there possibly be light or truth anywhere? Because this thing has failed me many times. So what are we going to do? We're just going to keep drinking from that, hoping it's going to turn out differently? Third question, can a person utilize both sources simultaneously? Can we drink out of both? Oh, I tried that for a while in my early 20s. Because I had some friends that were really about this stream over here, and they were good friends of mine. And man, they were having, they were having fun. And then I had this stream over here that I did on Sunday. I had some friends at church. So what did I do? I, I had it all figured out. Well, I'll... I'll drink out of this fountain at church. I'll raise my hand. I'll play the part. I'll go through the motions. I'll, I'll do that over here. So here's what I'll do. I'll put it in compartments. I got this little church compartment over here. And I can do that on Sunday, maybe on Wednesday. You know, if I'm really feeling bad about myself, I'll go on Wednesday. But definitely on Sunday, I'll go get my religion on. But I'm going to flip that switch off as soon as I walk out the door. And then when I walk out the door, I'm going to go right back over here. You see, the problem is, is when you consume poison, it doesn't matter how much food or drink you eat over here. If you consume poison, we're in a dangerous situation here. Even one drop of poison will take you out. So how, do, how are we going to think that we're going to drink poison one minute, at one minute and then try to drink out of a fresh stream and then it's all going to work out? No, you are still poisoned and it's still having an impact in your life. And it's coming out in your anger. It's coming out in how you're treating other people. It's coming out in selfish ambition. It's coming out in lying. It's coming out in boasting. It's coming out in narcissism. And the reality is, is what you're doing on Sunday has no impact on what you're doing on Monday. And everybody knows what you're doing. Especially the only one that matters, God, who's not fooled by anything. So we'll end where we started.
In Nazi Germany, they were putting flyers out all across Germany that what they were hearing going on in the concentration camps weren't actually happening. We're not, we're not killing Jewish people. We're just resettling them and putting them in a work camp. And you know what? The German people believed it. And then when the truth came out, when it really came out as to what they were doing, they denied it. And to this day, to this day, we have people who will deny that 11 million people were killed in concentration camps. When we drink from a stream of lies with a fountainhead that is a demon, that is going to have an impact in your life. And you've got you to choose today. Choose this day who you're going to serve. Fortunately, the gospel and the grace of God says all who will come, come and drink freely. What? Drink freely from what? The fountain of life. Father in heaven, we can't even begin to thank you for the grace and the forgiveness that you have bestowed upon us. We didn't deserve any of it. That's why it's grace. Father, in my own life, you have forgiven me over and over and over and over and over again. And so, Father, I'm, I've, I have learned and I am still learning that there's nothing in that other stream for me. There's nothing in that stream for my family. There's nothing in that stream for my marriage. And that the sources that I let into my life matter. So, Father, I pose the question to this congregation as the Holy Spirit works this morning. Whom do you trust? And Father, it may be that this morning for many here and many watching online this morning, they've never really put faith in you. Maybe they've been playing a part for a long time. but They've never expressed faith, saving faith. Father, the idea of repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of heart. So, Father, I pray that there be some here today, some online that would choose that the fountain they're drinking from is poison. That they would see the other fountain for what it is and that it can change their life. Father, I'd have to imagine that there are others here today that have allowed other sources of teachers and wisdom to creep into their life. Maybe they have kids that are now being heavily influenced by the world around them. So, Father, we pray and we ask that in this closing song as we worship together that people will respond as you lead them to. That both for the one who is lost and for the one who's been born again but have turned their backs on you, that repentance is the pathway forward. So, Father, have your will in your way. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together in this worship this morning. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church or on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Hyde Park Baptist.